trying to make sure the medical student will walk out and say, oh my gosh, if I got a veteran, they all have PTS, they're all about ready to lose their marbles. And you know, I'm like, no, it's a spectrum. And there's some people who are really disabled. And a lot of people just have bad dreams every month, once in a while. There's So n- making sure that when I ask you guys, if you guys come up with a reasonable thing of like, this is how we should kind of introduce the med students and get them primed to think about, yeah, I should really be picking these screenings up at some point, just like it would with, did you have all your immunizations or did you do all this? Right. Right. Does that make sense? It does. I, I think, I think every helping profession needs, and I don't think it's a class even. I think it's a, this is what the ACE study is. This is how it came to be. Mm -hmm. This is what the ACE is. Mm -hmm. This is why you should consider using it in your future work mm-hmm. folks mm-hmm. Um, and here are some things to do when you see an A Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and content expressed disturbing and or objectionable. everybody. Good afternoon or good morning, wherever you're at. I hope you're driving your car safely. Do not look at your cell phone. Cell phones kill people when you drive. I just was going through the parking lot today trying to get here because at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, if you are not here before eight o'clock in the morning, you will not have a parking space, at least anywhere close, because uh, parking services has ideas that don't necessarily correlate with what my best parking practices ideas would be. My best parking practices would be what happened 30 or 40 years ago where doctors had dedicated parking lots so we could come from our clinics and get into spaces easily, but that's not how it works here. So I had to park clear out across the parking lot, way, way far away. And um, the point of this is, as I was getting out of my car and walking to my office, which is good for overall health, um, a person very um, focused on their cell phone uh, was determined to try to hit me. Uh, do not look at your cell phone while you're driving. You will kill someone, and then your life will go badly, and then their life will go badly. It'll just be awful. So don't look at your cell phone while you're listening. I hope you're just listening and you're driving and paying attention. But on this day, we're going to continue with our third segment with uh, Lori Brown and Jennifer Schwerian. And I'll say hi, Lori. Good afternoon. Good morning. And uh, it is good afternoon. Holy cow, it's 12.15. And good afternoon, Jennifer. Hi. Hi. And um, we're going to continue on uh, kind of taking this third segment, kind of giving you a once over the world about ACEs. We've talked in the past about the history of ACEs, how it was formulated. It's fascinating. It truly is. I'm not just saying that. It really is interesting how a non-behavioral health physician arrived at this instrument for predicting long-term health outcomes. Uh, and then I think that maybe once every six months or every four months, uh, you know, three times a year or twice a year, we're going to talk about topics within ACEs and uh, overall behavioral health and long-term health outcomes. And uh, Jennifer has, although, and I haven't gotten it from Lori yet, but I assume she'll tag along, has agreed to, to entertain that possibility. So with that, why don't we go ahead and we'll talk about 
Cases. Tell me about cases. Cases with aces. Well, why don't we start with some cases without aces? I think that's a great idea. Okay. All right. In another lifetime, I worked at a domestic violence shelter. And women would be referred, and men, to uh, outpatient services. I was an outpatient provider for the domestic violence program. If police had gone to their home and needed to arrest one of the members of the home for domestic violence, then the victim would have to meet with me before going to court so that we could get a sense of if they wanted to press charges, if they needed or wanted therapy as a result, other services. Time and time again, what I would hear from women was it wasn't so bad because and often it was it, the male was the perpetrator. He didn't hurt the kids. Hmm. You know, it's not physically. Harm, physically. It's not. And we knew at the time, we knew that you're planting seeds, really. You know, you're, you're educating people about the toxicity of their relationship, the risk that it's going to escalate. And over time, you know, people will change their behavior. But you're really planting seeds. You, we also knew that it's not good, of course, for children to be in an environment where they're seeing violence, that they might then think that's acceptable behavior, or they might then become perpetrators in the future. But at no time did we know about the ACE study. At no time did we know that that's one point on the ACE study. If you grow up in a home where you see a person being physically abused, that's a score of one. Hmm. And what we often know is sometimes alcohol is also present in some of these situations. Um, someone leaving to go to prison might be in these situations, which is another ACE score and another ACE score. And then when you get up to four, we know that a ACE score of four or more puts you at risk for negative health outcomes. And so that is information that I think survivors of domestic violence need, a case example in terms of, okay, this person isn't hurting your child, but are you aware of the ACE study? Mm -hmm. Do you realize that your child has a developing brain and this toxic stress of seeing their caregiver hit beaten, spit on, et cetera, is having the potential to have negative health outcomes for them in adulthood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, um, you mentioned earlier that you've adopted two children from Russia, and well-known um, children that are not given uh, physical affection uh, or, or held, cuddled at mm -hmm. young ages have problems in later in life in many cases, mm -hmm. that there are very, very strong things that happen in the development of a child's brain when appropriate bonding occurs and parents look after them and care for them in a way that they feel safe and secure. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a lock. There are certainly plenty of people who've gone up in those environments that end up having issues, but it's very clearly understood that children who experience physical neglect, um, even to the point of 
they get fed every day, they have a warm bed, but they're not getting um, any kind of bonding from a parent, have problems psychologically. So now we're talking about something even more extreme where they're actually witnessing physical violence. I do have a question about that, though, that raises my mind. We have a society where children witness a lot of violence, and it may not be in the form of parents on parents. It may be in a video game. It may be in uh, repeated cases of serious violent activity. And so I'm curious, does that have any correlation with this kind of thing, too? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think it does. I think we see a rise in teen suicide rates. We see a rise in bullying. We see a rise in substance abuse. And I think it's really hard to tease out and be able, I'm certainly not comfortable saying, no, it has no impact. Yeah. There... Some, something is impacting the rise in substance abuse, substance use disorder, Something's impacting the rise in suicide rates. Mm -hmm. What is that something? Is it one something? Is it a combination of things? Probably. Yeah. But I would not take childhood trauma off the table from that discussion. I, I'm very, I mean, I have seen real physical violence in combat. I have seen what that looks like. And I am more and more uncomfortable with some of the things I see that kids are consuming off of television screens because it is so realistic in some cases that I know contextually as an adult, I look and I go, yeah, I get on a plane, I come over here, this is where this world exists, it's awful, it's horrible. And I have issues sometimes thinking about those horrific things that have happened to other people. All I can think of is now it's in American homes. And I, I you know, there's the video game industry is a multi-billion dollar thing. There's a lot of vested interest in not changing it, but it seems like every year it elevates in terms of the, the, um, the graphic accuracy and fidelity of the violence portrayed mm -hmm. um, in a way that's not just like the old school where you'd have Mario bouncing someone on the head with a rubber hammer or whatever. That, that to me, relatively harmless. But when you start seeing some of this stuff, and I correlate it with a child that's watching mom get beaten regularly mm -hmm. and what happens, I'm wondering, and you put that all together and you think, what is this? Because I see kids seem, they seem more nihilistic. They seem like they're just like, what's the point? Or that kind of thing. I see that too. And again, I'm careful because I don't want to say, well, maybe I'm biased because I work in a population that has a lot of issues um, emotionally. I think it's real. I really do. I think I see it. It's not just where, where I we work. It's out in society. You just don't see the same thing as I was a kid. I didn't have the same kind of thoughts that a lot of young people do today. And so I think it's a real thing to consider. So that's without ACEs, our initial, our initial discussion. Right. I mean, I think you don't know, and it's, it's hard to go, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking, but how many people would be impacted and maybe leave their abuser sooner, maybe seek treatment sooner mm -hmm. if they knew that, yeah, he's, he's not hurting your child, but witnessing this could lead to severe health outcomes. But in effect, he is hurting your child. Exactly. Right. So, but I mean, not physically hurting, but yeah. right. And right. that goes back to sensitizing people like we talked about before about using the term trauma, mm -hmm. of really redefining what that means. Um, we talk about this in the, in the context of PTS on a football field, or excuse me, traumatic brain injury on a football field and traumatic brain injury that occurs in combat. And um, one of the folks I interviewed years ago for a film uh, would say, look, the milieu is fundamentally different. You get a concussion on a football field, 
Well, generally speaking, you know, no one's going to die. You're you're playing a game. It's understood that it's a game. It's just a an injury. In combat, your friends are getting hurt. There's a lot of noise and sounds. The 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 the, the threat to your life. These things have a significant impact on the recovery of individuals that have these injuries. So if you talk to the folks like at the polytrauma center at the VA in, in Cleveland, or in, um, yeah, in Cleveland, it's the fourth largest in the country, a huge polytrauma team up there. They will talk to you about how difficult it is sometimes to treat what would be a relatively simple thing to treat in the civilian world, return to play or, or return to school, resting a brain that's been hurt on a football field, and even that can be complex. But then you take and you add the milieu that occurs in combat. Well, now I'm thinking about, we have to start thinking about these sort of traumas in terms of real physical injury. So when you're talking to that mother who's in a battered women's shelter, say, he is hurting your child. These things aren't showing up now physically, but in the long term, your child is being harmed. And maybe that will empower that woman to make the step to say, maybe I need to leave this relationship. Well, I think knowledge is power. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, long term. Mm -hmm. Okay, continue. Tell me more about the cases you're thinking about. I have. Go, Laura. <laughs> okay. You've been so so politely silent. Yes, I'm. I'm very good at silence. We don't want silence. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really that good at it. Because it's like audio. There's right. like a, you can't just take a picture. There's no picture, so they can't just look at you. So over the last several years, we have been taking a look at substance use disorders and the impact on our patients. So this isn't really like a one case scenario. This is a population scenario. Within ABH? Within ABH. Or Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services? No, within ABH. Mm -hmm. And what we've learned over the last couple of years is that more than 50% of our total admissions have either an opiate use disorder, a methamphetamine use disorder, or both. So we have been studying that and looking at what counties of admission, like where they're coming from in our 26-county region, what kind of resources they have, um, lots of demographic information about that population of patients. But in the last quarter, we started looking at what is their ACE score yeah, and what is their suicide risk? Like what were they rated at upon admission with our suicide severity scales? And in one quarter of data isn't very much, but in one quarter we learned that the vast majority of that population has an ACE score of four or higher, um, and there was like maybe 20 to 25 percent that had a score of seven or higher, which is very high, and um, we're seeing that most of them come in with a suicide severity rating scale in the moderate range. Mm-hmm. So it's very new data, it's very raw data, but we've we're starting to look at it and trying to figure out what that means for our patients and what their discharge plans should look like and how to best offer them resources. So we talked specifically about ACEs and its implications for long-term health outcomes. But when you identify someone with those particular factors, is that, I'm assuming the answer, what the answer will be, but does that then inform how their, how their psychology and their psychiatry approach will be? That looking at those childhood traumas and trying to deal with them as part of their overall care plan? I want to say yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> that I, I hope so, um, because the ACE scores are available to all staff. The, the screening tool should be found under the assessment section of the chart if you're ever looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that we'll see more referrals to psychology for some individual and group treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that social workers are looking at that score 
and assisting in the development of post-discharge safety plans, making sure people have an idea of ways to keep themselves safe outside of the hospital. It's, you know, what social workers also do is you guys also arrange for general medical care as outpatients, right? Or try to hook people up if they don't have assigned positions. Isn't that part of returning them back out into general or no? Sort of. Sometimes. But sometimes that's coordinated through like Jody or somebody else or Marianne and medical services. Are they sensitive to, since ACES is looking at long-term health outcomes, are they sensitive to helping the doctors that receive these patients that are not psychiatrists understand that this is a tool that was used within the context of their acute mental health stay. And by the way, this could have implications as far as their general health and well-being over the long term. I wish I could say absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. I know that all of the staff at ABH have received at least some general education about trauma-informed care, about ACEs, and about the impact on somebody's long-term physical health. How that's being translated to the community, I'm not sure of. Yeah. Well, it sounds like if the first approach for ACEs is in a uh, OBGYN population, that over time, CTEC may be looking at ways of informing as part of continuity care that, yeah, they go to the outpatient, psych- outpatient psychiatric facility for further care, but do their primary care doctors understand that this person could be at risk of these things? No, by the way, behavioral health's aware of it, but you need to be aware of it and be thinking in terms of their overall long-term health, in terms of their physiological health. I wonder if that's a, a step down the, in the future. And that's what CTIC wants to have happen. CTIC wants to educate the practitioners in our communities. Again, CTIC is the Southeast Trauma-Informed Care Collaborative. Yes. Um, and we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. Do you have that list, Jennifer, of the disease states that have been associated with ACEs that are high? I don't have that list memorized. No, that's that okay. Can you provide it? I can absolutely provide links that talk about that. Um, because I'd like to include that in the reference materials here. Because if a family doctor is listening to this and they say, click on that, and they realize what types of disease states are associated with these problems, then they start thinking, well, maybe I should know that ahead of time. So I can predict it and say, look, you have a greater propensity to hypertension and heart disease because of these incidences. And they do. That's one. Yeah, of course. And mm-hmm. I'd like to see that because it's easy for us to treat hypertension. He got blood pressure, dad had blood pressure, male relatives mm-hmm. all have blood pressure, mom had blood pressure. So we're going to take care of your hypertension. But if I also know that that person's ACEs score was eight, mm-hmm. I say it's even more important. I'll give you another example, and this might relate to physicians or nurse practitioners and PAs listening to this. I know that if I've got a diabetic, right, and that diabetic smokes, well, their risk of heart attack goes up like 10, a factor of 10. It's not just that they have a four times greater risk of heart attack as a diabetic. Now, if I add cigarettes, now we've increased it by another 10, factor of 10. So it seems to me that, well, if you've got a high blood pressure in and of itself, you're at greater risk of heart disease. Now, if I add an ACEs score of eight because of psychoemotional trauma as a child, even if we don't know that number yet, we do know that there's going to be an increased risk of heart disease down the road. So it's even more important to explain that to patients and say, this is why you need to be taking your medication. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm putting this together. I told you, I'm a family doctor. I deal with pictures and crayons. But you know what? You're a fast learner. I, I try. And like I say, approaching <laughs> this, I didn't know anything about this term in, a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one that easily gets onto the new shiny thing train. Mm-hmm. But if it's doable and it's a functional tool and it's been validated as having some relevance, then there's no reason why we shouldn't look at it. We can't incorporate every new thing, but if it's got good impact Mm -hmm. and it can be used relatively easily, 
Then now that leads me to this idea of how do we start educating young physicians, nurses, uh, PAs about its why this is an important tool to be thinking about, why it's an important thing to visit with a new patient, and then explain to them. You know, so how do we do that? What's that look like? I mean, and I'm not asking you to speak for CTEC. I'm just saying if they were to tell me as a professor at a medical school, hey, this is the type of exposure that these young people should have that are in their education in years one and two, let's just say, of medical school, what would that look like? What would you want them to know? Well, I think there's not one right way to do this. And I know mm -hmm. um, different schools have talked about developing trauma-informed care curriculum mm -hmm. for a class. Mm -hmm. But at the very basic level, when you boil it down, I think that all helping professionals in their educational experience, they need to know the history of the ACE score. How did we get to this? Mm -hmm. What is that study really about? What the significance of the study is, the outcomes, the health outcomes, what people are at risk for, and then various ways why it's important to their individual practice. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you saying that you didn't know this a year ago, but you've come a long way and you're seeing the significance of it. It's not a heavy lift for people. It makes sense. I think the biggest barrier right now is not knowing about it. Mm -hmm. Well, you two will be very proud of me because in six weeks, one day of the curriculum of the second year medical students will be looking specifically at ACEs and PTS. And the reason why we're having this conversation, even though you, this, this, this uh, broadcast will have occurred after that event, is that I will be, along with Dr. Bianco, incorporating students to do ACEs scores on one another or a fictitious person, someone they know from their history, they can look at it and then we will explain to them. And I think what you've told me as well, I need to do with my, when we build curriculum as we're doing this, is I need to get that history in there and have them read, briefly read why was it. it was a regular doctor who was just asking questions that came up with this tool now mm -hmm. that has state level visibility in Ohio for sure, mm -hmm. right? That, that CTEC is saying, we want this tool used properly. This is a good thing. It's right? an excellent yes. thing. And I think people, you know, we all do a better job with our jobs when we know why we're doing something. Absolutely. When we think it's just a piece of paper or just busy work, it, we're not going to do as well. It's not going to mean as much. And that's why I think they need to know about Dr. Folletti's history with this and mm -hmm. how it came into being. Um, and I, I just, I think it's really important. And it's what CTIC wants to see. Now, incidentally, last year, last calendar year, CTIC offers free trainings. And last year, we trained over 700 people in our region mm -hmm. on various topics related to ACEs, creating trauma-informed care environments, what trauma-informed care means, the significance of it. And that's all free services that we can provide. So if there are listeners who are hearing, well, my organization could really use some of this information, I would encourage them to contact CTIC and, and see about having someone come out and provide them with training. You're going to give me the links. And it's going, going to go in there. And they're going to be able to click away. Yes. And they'll be able to say, oh, that's how I do that. Yes. I, I think this is going good places. So so now tell me about good good use of ACEs, cases with good uses of ACEs, cases with ACEs. Cases with ACEs. Cases with ACEs. How have you guys, I mean, so, so Laura, you talked about how patients are being screened with this now in the psychiatric population. Yes. Okay. 
have you guys seen yet positive outcomes because ACEs was looked at and what that looks like in context? Because you can speak to a time, I mean, when did you guys start looking at ACEs, ACEs questions in behavioral health? Two years ago, three years ago? It was probably about two or three years ago, but we weren't good at it. No. We weren't good so at it. So tell me, that's great. So tell me before good and now getting better or good at it. Now, what does that look like for you guys as social workers? How's that impacted your practice? We always thought it was important, so we would do it. But like a lot of things, we didn't explain the why we're doing it, mm -hmm. and then we didn't do much with it. So we have the answer, we have the score, but we're not talking about what that score means. We're not relating it to how that might be contributing to their substance use disorder, how that might be contributing to their suicidal ideation. And so we, we've come from not doing it at all, not caring, not knowing what the ACE is, to doing the ACE, and then that's it, thank you, we're done here to incorporating the, the ACE score in the medical record mm -hmm. that we're then tracking with, okay, how many, what's the score for people like Lori mentioned who have an ACE, who have a su uh, substance use disorder in addition to what their ACE score is, in addition to what, are they low, moderate, or high risk of suicide? The findings are pretty much what we expected them to be. We expect people who present with substance use disorders to, on general, have a higher ACE score, mm -hmm. and they do. We mm -hmm. expect um, people who are more at risk of suicidality to have a higher ACE score, and at least in the substance use disorder population, they do. And so now we really need to take it a step further and figure out how to educate the individual patients and the people we serve with this, as well as the practitioners. And that's what ABH is doing on a smaller level. What CTIC wants to do is do that on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'd be great if in, in the entire state of Ohio that, that it was just standard of care medicine. That yes. we just knew, mm -hmm. yeah, everybody everybody at some point is going to get an ACEs screening, maybe once or, or maybe, again, if not in childhood, then in early adulthood mm -hmm. to look at this so that you have that as a basis to look at long-term mm -hmm. health outcomes. Like I say, forming a database of some sort where they can actually look at that registry and say, this is where the population of people who live in Ohio is. We've gathered this data. Mm-hmm to look at how this really impacts people over 20, 30, 40 years. And I think it would be great if Ohio University and some of the talent you have here would do a research on ACE scores in Southeast Ohio. We know we have bad health comes in Southeast Ohio. We have lower health literacy rates in Southeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I would be shocked if that doesn't mirror our ACE scores. So here's the thing. Do you guys know Liz Beverly? No. So Dr. Beverly, who literally works and lives one floor above me and to the left, your right, about 50 feet. She is one of the principal investigators for the diabetes folks here at OU at the Diabetes Institute. She does a lot of work with this, and she knows a lot of epidemiologists. And we always have medical students that want to do projects. And so a medical student that can do a research project, um, even looking at something like, and I'm not, I'm not... I'm not writing a check and putting it in the mail because it's not my call. I'm just saying that we have other populations of at-risk people f because of health issues. It might be an interesting project to 
to have a med student look at the correlation between their ACEs score and the severity of their diabetes when they developed it, that kind of thing, and see if there's Absolutely. correlation. Mm -hmm. So these are things that can be done, and it's relatively low-hanging fruit. I don't know what the literature shows. This is not my area, but it wouldn't be hard to figure out what the literature shows. Mm -hmm. We've already got a population of diabetics because it's such a big focus in Southeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's really good. Now, this is good. This is really good because I now have a pretty good understanding of how this whole thing works and what you guys are always, you know, championing. I hear ACEs all the time. I see trauma-informed care posters everywhere. And now I really understand it. And that's, that's really, great. I think so. Uh, yeah, at least I think I do. What are we missing, Lori, for this, for this time? For this time? Yeah. I I think we're missing how people can get involved in CTIC because talk about I don't it. know if you have any listeners who might be interested in getting involved with this collaborative, which meets every other month on the even number months, the second Tuesday at from 10 until noon, generally, but they can click that link in your show notes to find out how to get in touch with us. Can they do it remotely? Do they video teleconference? We don't at the moment. Um, the part moment. of at the moment, part of the reason for that, it, they're they can certainly be involved in CTIC, and we have work groups that meet outside of those meeting times, mm -hmm. and we need people who could do some of the legwork there remotely. Mm -hmm. But during the meeting, we we use some of that time to have the work groups meet and come up with homework assignments and the plan for the next meeting. So it's six times a year. For a two-hour meeting at Appalachian Behavior Healthcare, we will offer you coffee. And maybe donuts. And maybe donuts. They have donuts? What time? Morning, afternoon? Ten, from 10 until noon. Oh, it's not too bad. It's like like brunch. Yeah. Yeah. So you can bring your coffee from Speedway. Yes. Maybe get a donut out of the deal. Yes. And learn something about trauma-informed care. Right. And get to meet other people from this region who also have a passion for trauma-informed care and for spreading the word. See, I think it's cool that we're doing it in Southeast Ohio, but... I'll give you an example. So if I have a patient with HIV or has a concern of HIV, the resource that I turn to is UCSF. I, I, I call the, the help, the, the PEP line at UCSF because they know everything about it. So a doctor from Ohio is using a San Francisco resource. In fact, I like them so much that when I got my needle stick, because I was so freaked out, I called them up and the, and the HIV nurse explained to me about PEP and what my timelines were and stuff. And I sent them money because I was so thankful for that resource being there. And they work purely on donations, right? So, but that's the same thing. A doctor in Ohio resources a San Francisco resource because they're just the subject matter experts on how this works. There's no reason why a doctor or a, a, a social worker in Alaska shouldn't be able to get a hold of CTIC and say, what are you guys doing down there? Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm, so right. The, we got to work towards that to where it's a broader catchment because it's hard to commute from Anchorage to here. It is. But yeah. You can like us on Facebook. It's not maybe it costs more than a donut. You could like you on Facebook. It's a Facebook page too. Yes. Oh, good. So you're going to give me that link. Yes, Jennifer. Cool. What else do we got to talk about before we close? When are you inviting us back? Because we do have more to share. You're kind of pushy. We are. We are. Well, we're give so, me so, we're give, social workers. Give me, yeah, that's true. That's true. We do not upset the social workers. Uh, what do you, what, give, me, give me an example of topics you want to talk about. You have a whole sheet. Well, I see that. Well, we have CTIC members who are veterans. They're interested yep. in talking with you about trauma-informed care from the veteran perspective. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of work going on in our school systems that really need, some are more advanced than others, but the real need for being trauma-informed in the school setting. Awesome. Um, we have some substance use disorder experts. That's awesome. Like so I've already got 
trauma-informed care in a veteran's population. I've got trauma-informed care in a school population. Mm -hmm. I've got trauma-informed care in a substance abuse addiction context. Mm -hmm. um, I think these are great topics. I think that probably what we'll do is you guys are going to sort this out like, you, like you've done and provide tremendous resources. We're going to figure out what we haven't talked about, and then we're going to shape episodes 30 minutes long about each of these relative topics. Perfect. Does that sound good? That Perfect. sounds great. And then the social workers won't be upset anymore. Right. Because the whole point is keeping social workers happy. Yes. Yeah. I'll make one more comment about that. There, and I'm not just saying this because you two are sitting here. I have watched social workers over the years, and I just have the greatest admiration for social workers. My wife was a, um, a developmental delay teacher, a special needs teacher, for a couple of years before she became a professional photographer. And she, she would go on home visits and come back and just be devastated. And all she was working with is in the context of, of teaching young people in the classroom. But over that, I realized social workers, they bear the burden of seeing the ugliness of society in ways that very few of us can comprehend. And I'm not just talking about psycho-emotional. I'm talking about just physical neglect. I'm, and I have tremendous respect for any social worker because it is really tough work. And in fact, one of my good friends in the Army was a social worker for years. And I remember when he was – he's now in his late 60s. But he talked about how much he was looking forward to retirement after 30 years of social work. Because he just wanted to live a life where he wasn't seeing these sort of things every single day. It was really a big, it was a huge emotional burden for him. He's well, a good good guy. but That's that's another topic is vicarious trauma and secondary trauma. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, among mental health providers and right. social workers. Right. I think we need to talk about that too. Mm -hmm. Because I think first it's... First responders. Sorry. First responders, for sure. And I think it's important that if you're a primary care physician taking care of a social worker, um, you need to ask them about that. How are you doing with your work? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your resiliency look like? Are you mm -hmm. taking enough time off? Are you getting enough vacations? Are you, what's going on in your life? I think those are really great topics. Awesome. Anything else in closing? I don't think so. Thank you for having yes. us, though. Well, it's my pleasure because that's the whole point of rotations is learning something new, right? So, Lori Brown, I uh, thank you very much. And Jennifer Schwerian, thank you very much. Thank and uh, for those of you who want more resources, of course, you're going to click on the show notes. We're going to go develop at least four more half-hour episodes on specific topics within ACEs, I anticipate that future OU students will probably have to listen to one or two of these podcasts in the context of other classes they're taking so that they're informed because everyone wants pre-records and it's hard to read, but it's easier to listen. Um, and if you have, of course, any questions, you can listen to the outro to tell you how to get a hold of us. But please, um, rotationspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can send comments on, and you can send it to Twitter. You can send it um, uh, to those resources and tell us if this is resonating with you and, and what your thoughts are. Uh, but with that, I will bid you adieu, and I hope you have a great, uh, a great day. And thank you for joining us on Rotations. Take care. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science as part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of the Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. This episode of Rotations was produced by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we sometimes pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. 
You may use Rotation's content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators. You must cite Rotation's as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by tweeting us at Medical Cinema for Todd, at Prof Plow for Brian, Nisarg Bakshi for Nisarg Bakshi, and at Rotations PCAST, or by visiting mediaandmedicine.com slash rotations. Check us out on Facebook at Media and Medicine. And finally, from me, Todd Fredericks, you can also send me a message through my Facebook page at TR Fredericks. But please, I have a sensitive feelings, so embrace your inner non-hater.